Good morning again, everyone. It's good to have you here this morning. Hey, for the past two months, we've been going through Paul's letter to the Colossians. And this morning, we come to the last sermon in that series. Remember now, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter while he was imprisoned in Rome for preaching the gospel. And even though Paul had never visited the church at Colossae, there were two events that occurred that really connected him and had him to have a strong connection with that church and also prompted him to write this letter. One of those things that really connected Paul was the fact that while he was in prison, he was able to meet a fellow prisoner by the name of uh, Onamus. And Odemus, he was a runaway slave from the city of Colossae. And Paul was able to minister the gospel to him, able to see him come to the Lord. And, of course, he heard stories about the city and the town of Colossae through this runaway slave of Odemus. Also, we see that Paul had a visitor from Ephrates, who was actually the founder of the church of Colossae. And he had traveled to Rome to meet with Paul and to tell him about the state of the church there in Colossae and also to inform him of the doctrinal problems they were having as a church because these false teachers had come into the church and were spreading a false doctrine. So we see that the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write this letter to the Colossians. And after writing the letter, the Apostle sent the letter by Tychicus to deliver the letter to the church along with Onamus. And Odemus uh, traveled with Otychicus all the way to Colossae. Now, Paul had four purposes behind sending Tychicus to Colossae. And the first was that he wanted him to usher this runaway slave back to Colossae and to form a union between this runaway slave and his former master, Philemon, who was a leader of the church in that area. Secondly, we see that he wanted Tychicus to deliver four letters to three different churches and one individual. We see that, he, that this man delivered the letters to, of Ephesians, Colossians, the letter to the Laodiceans, which is mentioned in our text this morning, and he delivered the one, message, one letter to Philemon. Now, thirdly, we see that Tychicus was supposed to ascertain the situation there in Colossae because they had been beaten down through this false teaching, and he wanted him to report back to, uh, to Paul back so that Paul would know what type of further ministry he should do there. And then finally, he wanted this man to give a verbal report to the churches and to the individuals about Paul's condition and the circumstances that he was at while he was in prison. And that will be mentioned also in our text. Now, this trip from Rome to Colossae, well, it was an easy one. Tychicus and Onamus, they will walk nearly 500 miles on Roman roads and they will sail over 600 miles over two seas in order to reach their destination in Colossae. So the total amount of mileage that they put for this trip was about 1,100 miles. And this wasn't easy travel like we have it today. Now when they arrived, 
the congregation would have gathered together and they would hear this letter read out loud. And for weeks and months and even years to come, they would come back into that gathering point to hear different portions of this letter read and explained to them through the preaching of the gospel. Much like what we've been doing here the last nine months. Now our text this morning is a portion of the Bible that we usually skim over in our Bible readings. It's a bunch of names of people that, we, that really don't mean anything much to us. But this section of Paul's letter is as much inspired by God than, as any other section in the letter and any other in the Bible. So it should be looked at and really sought after to understand why the Lord inspired these, these verses for us to read. So let's hear God's word this morning and seek the Lord to use this portion of scripture uh, for us to do his holy will as fellow workers in Christ. Our text this morning is from Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 through 18. Hear now the word of God. As to my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onemus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. Eratakis, a fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas, Barnabas' cousin Mark, to whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Aphratis, who is also one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heriopolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Greek the brother who are brothers, brethren who are in Laodicea, and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceas, and you, for your part, read my letter which is coming from Laodicea. And Archcupus say to him, Take heed to your ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, Write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. That finishes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Now, in Paul's letter to the Colossians, well, it's a, it's a, a short letter. It's only four chapters. And, of course, a chapter in the Bible is not like a chapter in a book but we notice something here that in this short letter, Paul only writes one verse about lust and greed. He only writes one verse about being a Christian wife. 
only one verse about being a Christian husband and only one verse about being Christian parents. But he spends 12 verses in the last portion of his letter mentioning various people which are fellow workers in Christ. And even though, and what we see from this list is even though the Apostle Paul was one of the most gifted men in church history, he certainly was not a one-man show. Surrounding him was a team of faithful people who were devoted to serving Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen? Paul mentions nine of these fellow workers in Christ and three other churches in the region surrounding Colossae. So let's discover a little bit more about these ministers of the gospel and these churches that Paul mentions here in our text. First, which we've already mentioned, is Tychicus. He's the first one who is mentioned. And notice he is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. And as I mentioned, Tychicus was the one who delivered Paul's letter to the Colossians. But this certainly is not the only time that he is mentioned in the New Testament. Tychicus was a Gentile from Asian Minor who had traveled with Paul at the end of Paul's third missionary journey. We see that he was a trustworthy friend who Paul actually sent to fill in for Timothy as well as Titus in their pastoral duties so that Timothy and Titus could travel to Rome and to spend time with Paul in prison. I guess you could say that Tychicus was like Paul's secretary of state. He is just going everywhere, doing everything. Wherever Paul sent him, he would, he would go, using all the frequent flyer miles he could, I'm sure. Onemus, on the other hand, is the exact opposite of Tychicus. We see, that again, he was a runaway slave who was from Colossae. And Paul had led him to the Lord while in prison. What we find out about this man is that he's one of those fortunate converts that from the very beginning of his conversion, God surrounded him with faithful workers in Christ. Can you imagine what it would be like to be, to be led to the Lord by the Apostle Paul? And then from there for the Apostle Paul to be the one who disciples you. And then you have these guys who are visiting Paul in prison, many that are listed here. And then when it comes time for his release, he goes with Tychicus, this veteran minister of the gospel, and travels over 1,100 miles. And can you only imagine the wealth of biblical knowledge and understanding that he received during that time? It's a blessing to be able that when God surrounds us with godly and mature men and women who can teach us the word of God. And that's exactly what happens to this guy. We see that Paul again wanted him to go back to Colossae and be reunited with his master Philemon. And as I mentioned earlier, Philemon was a church leader probably in the church of Laodicea which actually met in his house. And I just want to just take a little short pit, bit out of Paul's letter to Philemon that where he's encouraging Philemon to receive this, this runaway slave back. Paul writes, I appeal to you for my child Onamus, who I have begotten in my imprisonment. 
who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart to whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I do not want to do anything, so that your goodness might not be in effect by compulsion, but by your own free will. For perhaps he has for this reason separated for you, from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. When you read something like that, it seems to me that the apostle had a fond affection for this young convert. And he really wanted to show this young, young convert that all things are to be done for the glory of God. Paul was not going to neglect the restoration between him and Philemon. And he went to great lengths to make sure that that restoration happened. Now we move on to Artechus, and who is Paul, he says, his fellow prisoner. And we also see that this man stayed with Paul while he was in prison to care for him. He was from Thessalonica, and the Bible teaches us that he actually traveled with Paul in his third missionary journey, and also traveled with Paul on his voyage to Rome to be imprisoned. And then we have Mark, Barnabas's cousin, Mark, who is also called John, and also called John Mark, and we know that Mark actually deserted Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. It was, and when it time, time came for their second missionary journey, Barnabas, his cousin, wanted to take Mark with them, with them. But Paul insisted that Mark should not come along because he deserted them on the first journey. Actually, the book of Acts records there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from one another and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. But here we see 12 years after Barnabas takes Mark and goes on this missionary journey, 12 years later, after Barnabas and Paul had this strong disagreement about Mark, we see that Paul writes to the Colossian church to welcome Mark without any reservations. And later on, in 2 Timothy, Paul will actually write, Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful for me for service. Then we have Justice. I never really quite understood why anybody would name their kid Jesus. And thank God Justice had another name that he went by. But we see here that he was a fellow worker for the kingdom of God. Paul notes the fact that he's one of the party of the circumcision. What that would mean is that he was a Jewish convert. He came out of Judaism. And Paul mentions that he had proved to be a real source of encouragement to Paul. Now, Paul doesn't necessarily elaborate about how justice had proven to be a source of encouragement. But 
we, we certainly can conclude that Justus, along with the other Jewish converts, were probably very useful and encouraging to Paul as he attacked this false doctrine that had arisen in Colossians, this Judaism, this rule-keeping righteousness, and these guys could have a first-hand knowledge after coming out of Judaism themselves. Then you have Ephrates. Ephrates was the founder of the church of Colossae. And he probably planted the other churches in the surrounding region. This man exemplifies the characteristics of a church leader. Just look what Paul says about him. He considered himself to be a member of the church. So he doesn't, there's no hierarchy. He's, part, he's one, of the, one of the body. He identifies himself as being in Christ as a bondservant. To Jesus Christ. And he earnestly labors in prayer for the congregation. He focuses on the goal that Christians in Colossae would grow in their faith in Christ. So much to the point that they would stand perfect with full assurance in the will of God. This individual had a pastor's heart. And Paul here emphasizes his, his deep concern that this pastor had for the church of Colossae and the churches of the region. We see that he was truly, truly a man after God's own heart. And then you have Luke, the beloved physician, who sends his greetings. You know, this is the only text we have where we find out that Luke was a doctor. Every other place he's just mentioned is Luke. But we see that Luke was a faithful companion to the Apostle Paul, traveling with him on most of his missionary journeys. And he also was with, with Paul when he was shipwrecked on his voyage to Rome. And Luke was the only worker with Paul near the end of Paul's second imprisonment as he faced execution. Luke stayed with him. And of course... Luke is the only Gentile author of the New Testament. Luke, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us about 25% of the New Testament. 25% of the New Testament in the book, in the Gospel according to Luke and in the book of Acts. And also, Demas. Now what is striking here is that Paul says nothing to commend Demas. As he has done with the others. In his letter to Philemon, which Paul wrote a little bit earlier than this, he identifies Demas as a fellow worker. But in 2 Timothy, which a letter Paul would write later, Paul reports, quote, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So maybe the reason why Paul doesn't make any comments about Demas in this text is because he knew or sensed that something wasn't quite right with Demas's relationship with Christ. And I'm sure that Demas has fallen away and Demas's departure from the ministry deeply affected the Apostle Paul. Then you have Nympha, who is probably the host of the church in the nearby town. Scripture indicates in the, the early church met in private homes. 
And these private homes were usually hosted by the most affluent members of the churches, which would have bigger homes. And what we see from archaeological digs and church research is that the worship services were held and conducted in the atriums of these homes and in the central courtyard of these homes. And we see that Nympha was one of those hosts. And then Archcupus, we see that he is a fellow soldier in Christ. Now, this individual might have been pastoring the church of Colossae while Ephrates went off to visit Paul in Rome. And the reason why many believe that is because he commends him as a young minister saying, Take heed to your ministry, which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. So Paul is encouraging this young pastor to take heed to his ministry, which he has received from the Lord. Make sure that you fulfill your ministry. And this is, a, this is something that every Christian this should receive into themselves. You know, each one of us have a ministry that the Lord has given to us. And we need to take heed to fulfill it. And so we need to receive this, 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 these words of Paul not only to this individual, but also to us as well. Amen? Now, I know that this list is not necessarily interesting. You probably didn't know anything about these individuals until I just told you about them. But again, this portion of Scripture is part of the inspired Word of God. So I think what I'd like to do is just to share with you four lessons that I've learned as I've studied this passage of Scripture. The first lesson, it's hard for me to think that the Apostle Paul ever got discouraged in ministry. But that's absolutely ridiculous for me to think that. Everyone gets discouraged, even pastors, even missionaries. We all get discouraged. But the fact is, is how are we going to overcome that discouragement? And it seems to me that the Apostle Paul purposely surrounded himself with faithful companions that would stick with him till the end. That the Apostle Paul surrounded himself with faithful servants of Christ who would be real shepherds to God's people. The Apostle Paul surrounded himself with people who would be a source of encouragement to him. And I think that we need to follow Paul's example. That we need to surround ourselves with fellow workers in Christ like Paul did here in Rome. Isn't it interesting that as Paul sat in a jail cell where he could have been plummeted into discouragement... But instead, what he does is he reminds himself of all the people that God had sent to him so that he might continue his ministry. And I think that this is a good example for us to follow. That when we find ourselves in a lonely place, when we find ourselves in a dark place, instead of becoming discouraged and focus on those things, that we would refocus ourselves on the people that the Lord sent and placed in our lives. People that stuck with us, people who served with us, and people who encouraged us. Amen? Amen. See, the, apostle, the Lord used the Apostle Paul in a great and mighty way. 
as I said before, probably one of the greatest men in church history. But here we see that Paul surrounded himself with real companions, real churchmen, and real comforters. And I think we should do the same. Secondly, the second lesson we can learn from this list, you know, some people think that you never have disagreements in the church. <laughs> oh, that's so crazy. Some people think that there, if there's disagreements in the church, then that destroys unity. But the fact is, is we're all individuals. The fact is, there's going to be situations that we confront that you're going to have one opinion and I'm going to have another. We're going to have a disagreement. Did you know in the book of Acts, there's several references where, where Luke records and there was great discussion about this. <laughs> there was a big disagreement about this. And it seems that the Holy Spirit isn't afraid to say, yeah, people have disagreements. But this is what I want to say, is that there is a major difference between having a disagreement and being divisive, creating discourse, and causing dissension. We see in this incident of this disagreement between Barnabas and Paul, we need to remember that Barnabas' real name wasn't Barnabas. The apostles gave him at that as a nickname. His real name was Joseph. You know why they named him Barnabas? Because it means son of encouragement. So it would have been totally out of character for Barnabas to be divisive, cause discourse and dissension. It would just be totally out of character. He is the son of encouragement. And as a matter of fact, when you look at the book of Acts, you will discover that Barnabas was Paul's number one supporter. There was no one that supported Paul like Barnabas. You recall that when Paul, remember, whose name was Saul, had persecuted the church, were dragging Christians out of their houses and throwing them into jail, even murdering some people for it because they were Christians, that Paul was the leader of all that. And then on that Damascus road, he got saved and God called him to the ministry. You know who it was that brought Paul to and introduced him to the apostles soon after his conversion? Barnabas. Barnabas found Paul, took him to the apostles, and made a personal introduction of Paul to each one of the apostles so that they would receive him and his ministry. Also, we see that Paul and Barnabas, as you go through the book of Acts, they had a long history of ministry together, which started in Antioch, and then they were sent out together as co-laborers in the first missionary journey, spending months together. And then we see them in Acts chapter 15, standing up together at the Council of Jerusalem, standing against this false doctrine of Judaism within Christianity. So we see that Paul and Barnabas' disagreement 
of whether or not to take Mark on the second missionary journey. Well, it did not hinder anyone's ministry. Because the Bible and church history records that Paul, Barnabas, and Mark had, had a very effective ministry after this separation. Also, Paul and Barnabas' disagreement did not affect the relationship between any of them. It, it didn't even affect the relationship between Paul and, and, and Mark. He's very useful to me. He's a faithful servant. Welcome him without reservation. It seems like they're getting along pretty good. So the challenge here, the lesson we learn from this list is not to allow our disagreements to cause division, discourse, or dissension. Amen? Thirdly, when we look at this list, we see Demas and Mark as contrasting figures. You have to remember, they both committed the same transgression. Mark deserted Paul, and Demas deserted Paul. They both committed the same transgression, but one used it as a means to grow in Christ, where the other one fell away. So we should look at these two men to discover what's going on here. Mark used this whole experience to mature in his faith and his ministry, while Demas caved in to, this, to the relentless temptations of this world. Each one of us stumble in many ways. Amen? But we need to consider what happened to Demas and Mark so that we don't fall into the same trap or that we can use Mark as a positive example. Remember, Demas was a fellow worker who once fought alongside Paul in kingdom battles, but the scripture says that he eventually fell in love with the world. We need to be careful. This reminds me of what the Apostle Peter wrote. Quote, Be of sober spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Brothers and sisters, our enemy is very real and our enemy is very crafty. And he threatens us and he seduces us with the things of this world. And even those who start strong and become church leaders like Demas are in danger of the deception of the devil. Mark, on the other hand, gives us hope. Yeah, he started, started off weak. When you read the book of Acts, he actually deserted Paul and Barnabas at the first stop. It seemed that he didn't have the right stuff for ministry. He had disappointed his cousin, who many argue was an apostle himself, and the apostle Paul by going home unexpectedly. But Mark finished well. He matured and rejoined the battle and became proven to be faithful, trusted, and useful. 
Mark grew in his faith to the point that the Lord used him to contribute to the inspired Word of God in the New Testament. You know it. The Gospel according to Mark. This reminds me of Paul's words to Timothy and something I think we need to really embrace ourselves. But flee these things, O man of God. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith and take hold of eternal life for which you have been called. And I believe those were words that, the, that, that Mark enjoyed hearing and there are words that we should embrace into our own Christian lives. Amen? We don't know the last word for Demas. We certainly hope that he repented at the end and came back to Christ. But what we learn from Mark is that our failures don't define us. Our failures don't define us. Amen. Failure doesn't have to be the last word even though it might have been part of your resume. And lastly, the church of Laodicea jumps out to me when Paul mentions Ephratus' deep concern for that church as well as the other churches in the region. You know, 30 years after Paul sent this letter to the Colossians, the Holy Spirit would inspire the Apostle John to write the book of Revelation. And the church of Laodicea will be mentioned in the first few chapters of that book. And this is what it says about that church. The Lord says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold or hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, I have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. It took 30 years for the church of Laodicea to become self-sufficient and lukewarm in their relationship with Christ. Next year in 2020, this church will celebrate its 30th anniversary. So if the Lord was going to write about this church in the book of Revelation, what would he say? Would he say that we're lukewarm? That we're not really committed to our relationship with Christ? We're not really committed to grow in his word. We're not really committed to one another in ministry. Brothers and sisters, you want to know the biggest tool that the devil uses in each one of our lives? And that's for you to become complacent. Because he knows if you become complacent in your spirituality, become complacent in your relationship with the Lord, he doesn't have to do anything else because you're doing nothing. Complacency is the biggest threat that we have in our spirituality. We have to purpose ourselves, as the Spirit will say to the church of Laodicea, to be zealous to repent. To be zealous to repent. 
And if you've been lukewarm in your relationship with Christ, if you've been complacent in your ministry to others, be zealous to repent. Be quick to repent and allow the Lord to reaffirm his relationship with you. Maybe you've been complacent when it comes to learning God's word or growing in your faith or serving others. Stop it. (laughs) It's not helping you. You might have a lot of free time, but it's not helping your relationship with Christ. Be zealous to repent. Well, brothers and sisters, as we conclude this series in the book of Colossians, let's just recap what the Apostle has written in these four short chapters. First of all, let's remember that we are in Christ because of the work of Christ on our behalf. Amen? We are in Christ because of the work of Christ on our behalf. We are in Christ not because of the works of righteousness that we have done. We are in Christ because Christ Jesus has done all things so that we might be saved and enjoy the Lord's sanctification. Secondly, let's remember that the source of our sanctification is our union with Christ. Our source of our of our sanctification is not by rule-keeping righteousness. The source of our sanctification is by seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. Basically, we, it's because of our union with Christ and our love for Christ and our desire to glorify Christ. This is the motive, this is the source of our sanctification, not fulfilling a certain amount of religious rules and regulations. Amen? And lastly... As a church, let's seek to be faithful companions, faithful servants of Christ, and people who are a source of encouragement to one another. Let's have done with lesser things. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for this practical portion of Scripture. We certainly do thank you for the names that are listed here and the way that you worked wonders amongst them, just by simple companionship, simple service, being an encouragement to one another. And Lord, pray that you will help us to be that type of people. Lord, guard our hearts against complacency from being lukewarm in our relationship with you and our service to the church, Lord, help us to be people who understand that we really, that you've called us to be fellow workers in Christ. Lord, minister to us, Lord. We need your help so badly because we can be swayed by this world so easily. Help us to be a people that are completely surrendered to you. And we ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.